morning. <clears throat> yeah, I've got two coffees today. This one and that one. It's just one of those mornings, you know. I'm just kidding. It's, it's fine. Everything's good, dude. Why are you guys so worried? Uh, so I'm doing the thing today, and uh, anything could happen. Uh-oh. Just kidding. Um, mine are pretty, pretty safe. I don't, uh, I don't do crazy stuff, but who knows what could happen. Um, so hi, I'm one of our staff members here. You guys know me. My name's Joshua, um, and I uh, love our little church. This is a cool little Sunday we have today. We've got people out of town, and um, just us hanging out here. So grab an extra cup of coffee. Probably have extra than we normally would have. So do that. Let's chill, hang out, learn about Jesus together. Our church exists here in Denton to uh, be a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. That's our vision. And our mission is to make immature disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus. And what we've been doing this summer is just looking at gospel stories and trying to take what we can from these stories, from what Jesus says, what he does, what, how people respond, and figure out how we can let that empower our mission and our vision as a church together um, with just some story time. So I picked a really hard story this week, and um, bit off more than I could chew, but that's okay. And I, they happened to me, this hasn't happened in a while, it used to happen to me more regularly, where I like go way down the rabbit hole, and just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much here, there's so much research, so much stuff to read, and uh, had a completely incoherent amount of notes. But don't worry, I went through cut lots of stuff out, and it, it's, it might still be incoherent, but it's going to be shorter. So I think, I think it is. So we are going to be reading um, Matthew 4, the beginning of Matthew 4. So I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, let me kind of set the scene, too. This is a very interesting and unique story in a bunch of ways. Jesus in the desert. And um, it kind of reminds me, when, I've, when I read it a few times this past week, of the scene in movies that sort of shapes a character or prepares a character for something. Um, there's a ton of these. One of the ones I thought of was in Batman Begins, when Christian Bale is like up in the mountains of whatever sort of ambiguous country that they, they picked or whatever. And he's fighting Liam Neeson, he's learning all kinds of stuff, and he's out in the wilderness. There's always scenes like that in movies where the hero's out on his own learning some stuff, and there's just a cinematicness to it. So I'm not going to actually retell it in that kind of way. I'm not going to add some really cool Batman lines like the fighting thing. And then Liam Neeson's like, oh, well, you, you made a false move. And then he breaks the ice and he falls to the ice. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make it cinematic for you. But just imagine that way a little bit. Like, out in the desert, all alone. And Jesus has been out there for a long time. Um, this is the, the setting, the scene. He has not really started his ministry yet. Um, and... So that's where, that's where we're going to begin here. So in Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It's written, Man must not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. They'll support you with their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it's also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. Isn't that an interesting story? It's like, what do we make of that? What a unique one among all the other stories that we have. This story where Jesus is alone in the desert, and this character we know about, we've got lots of mythology about too, got lots of cartoons about or whatever, he comes and, and tries to tempt Jesus. Um, one of the biggest differences in this story versus other ones is that he is the only person there that we know of. It's him, and it's the enemy. So how do we have this story? <laughs> how is it, who wrote it down? How, who told it to who, you know? A lot of those stories we have, somebody else was there, there are witnesses, people to tell it to other people, and when they were assembling all these things, and the disciples were doing that. So here, we don't know for sure, but here is an easy answer that's not that crazy, that Jesus told the disciples about this, that Jesus felt like it was an important enough story to relay it to the disciples, maybe even specifically just to Matthew, who wrote it down, but Luke also has it as well in his gospel. Um, so, and even Matthew hasn't, hasn't entered the story yet. So we know that he wasn't like following far behind um, with his notepad or something and just jotting things down, not being seen by Jesus. So <laughs> that's probably not what happened. Jesus, I think it's safe to say, we can't know for sure, safe to say, Jesus really wanted us to have this story, that he has some specific things in mind he wanted us to know and things he wanted to make sure that we were able to take away. No one else was there to, to write it, so he told the disciples. I imagine um, it would be a, uh, one that he had a lot of reasons why he wanted the disciples to know this story. And so I think that's a pretty reasonable, not super risky explanation to have, but just don't, you know, don't quote me. Um, even though this will be on the internet, don't quote me. So what can we glean from this story that's weird and starts to also kind of get uncomfortable because we have to talk about the enemy this, this complicated character that none of us really want to talk about because there's a lot of kind of weird baggage that we have as like a society and as like a race about just this character and what he even means, what he's trying to do, what's real, what's not, all that kind of stuff. So here are my, here's my first point really is just that the enemy is alive and well and active and his work is all around us. I think this story is pretty dependent on us understanding who this evil weirdo is, right? He's a pretty big part of it, <laughs> and, um, and if he's even like a threat to us now, right? I obviously just said I think that he is, but let's start there. So we have names for this guy, Satan, um, the devil, whatever. Those words just mean the accuser. So it's not like a name, it's like a title, you know, um, and like, like, you know, serial killers or whatever get like a title. That's his, the, the accuser. Not even the coolest one, honestly, if, if you ask me. 
Jack the Ripper, something like that. Those sound way more extreme. So anyway, I'm just trying to throw shade at Satan. But the accuser, that's what his name means. That's what we know. We have to, I think, get rid of some of our modern ideas about this guy that come from like Greek mythology, cartoons, sports teams, Dracula, that character that is in the Powerpuff Girls that none of us quite knew what was going on there, right? What? No, there was the character that like looked like a... Yeah, I didn't remember that. Thank you. Anyway, so we've got all these weird things like that about this, this guy, okay? So we've got to get rid of some of those things, the horn, the pointy tail, whatever, Powerpuff Girls stuff. Forget all that and just think about it's someone who outright opposes God and is actively trying to work against God's desire and design for creation and has for a really long time. That's, that's what we can know from Scripture. The enemy's tactics have been pretty similar from day one, and uh, we have great comparisons to that back in the creation story. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read really quickly the story that we have in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit, the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and it will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Sorry, my throat's really dry. I'm not actually getting sad or like, like touched by this story, you know? It's like, it's just so sweet how he gave her the fruit, you know. <laughs> Coffee's probably not the best thing for, a, like, a dry throat, but whatever. <clears throat> okay, so we have that story. Can you see some similarities? We're not going to dive way into it. Can you see some similarities, his tactics? He's kind of like, every little word is purposeful. Like, from the beginning, he's like, Didn't, did God say you can't eat anything in here? It's like, of course not what God said. But he, like, starts... No, saying something he knows isn't true and trying to get this dialogue going with Eve. He also says things that aren't true and really purposeful little word placements when he talks with Jesus. Golly. Let's try the, the cold coffee. Let's see if it helps. Also, Alex, I've got that water bottle right there. Would you mind bringing it to me? Just so I can have three drinks. It's uh, the silver one. Yeah. There we go. Nice. Thanks, Alex. <clears throat> three drinks. Three drinks. Okay. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> so here's what else we know in the Bible about this guy. In John 8.44, Jesus is telling us about him, telling disciples about him, telling the Pharisees about the enemy. And he says, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he's a liar and he's the father of lies, okay? He's a liar and he's the father of lies. In Ephesians, Paul talks about him and says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Jesus says, father of lies. Paul says, ruler of the kingdom of the air. Sounds like a guy who is pretty serious and someone that both Paul and Jesus take pretty seriously um, and seem to caution us about in a pretty serious way. So he deceived Adam and Eve in the beginning. Jesus and Paul both think he's a significant figure in this whole deal in our everyday lives. But how often do we talk about or think about this enemy here? Me included, dude. Not very much at all. Almost ever. Um, Do we treat him as if he's actually a big deal? The big deal that Jesus and Paul both seem to suggest that he is? The big deal that the creation story suggests he is? I mean, he's... He's the reason things are the way they are. <laughs> he set things on the course that, that they are now because of what he did at the very beginning there. So, pretty big deal. I have my own skepticism about talking about the enemy. In fact, there's been large chunks of my time in my faith where I was like, that's hard. Maybe I'll stay where it's easy. That seems much easier not to deal with. Um, all things like demons and devil-related kind of stuff, total skeptic about it. So if you're feeling that way and you're like, man, what? We picked this story. We've had some cool, chill ones in the past, and now we're talking about this. I'm totally with you. I think one of the downsides is it can kind of feel like blame shifting a little bit. Like I've been around some people who are like, man, the devil is out to get me today. Stubbed my toe this morning, you know, uh, gotten stuck in traffic, blah, blah, blah. And it's like we are just these good little innocent creatures going about our day, and we're perfect, and dang it, is if it isn't the devil every single time when something goes wrong. Like, that's the kind of, I've been around people like that, who was like really extreme that way, and then I myself have been on the other end where I'm kind of like, let's just not go there. There's enough to worry about. There's enough things to worry about. There's people that are frustrating to be around. There's bad things happening in the world. Let's just leave it at that, you know, and that's been the side of like not even talking about the enemy, which I think both Paul and Jesus would be pretty not down with because they seem to think it's important to talk about him and to uh, caution us about him. So I think there a little bit, James can offer a, a, a balance to that. We've talked about this passage um, before, but it's been about a year, so let's just talk about it again. But this balance between the enemy working in the world and trying to do things, trying to lie, and also the responsibility we have as believers and the fact that we, uh, we do lean toward desires that are not of God and sin. So James says it like this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and when sin's fully grown, he gives birth to death. So, there's someone trying to deceive us, yes, at the same time, we have these tendencies and desires that we do want to give into. We want to lean toward things that are not good for us, aren't good for others, aren't good for creation, aren't what God wants for us. That's already there too, so it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> not really. Match made in hell. There we go. How about that? <laughs> we've, got the, we've got this proclivity toward things that the enemy wants to remind us about and lean us toward and stuff, and he, he may not have to try that hard uh, often. In the case of Eve, it wasn't that hard. At least it seems that way. So um, that is, a, a, um, I think, a balance we can have there. Let's not make it out to where the, the enemy is, is the one causing every single inconvenience and, and thing in your life. 
let's not also be on the other side where we don't talk about him at all and don't take him seriously at all. That is not going to lead us very well. In fact, I think he will probably benefit immensely from us not taking him seriously. Um, we're not these perfect little innocent puppies being like lured away by bacon, you know, um, not knowing any better. I almost used like a nursery rhyme or an uh, old, like what do you call those, fairy tale thing, fable thing. And I realized I don't really remember like almost any of them. Like I was going to use Hansel and Gretel and I was like, I looked it up and I was like, man, dude, I did not read this whole thing or it's been such a long time since I've used it. So I'm not going to use it because it was like complicated. But <laughs> puppies and bacon is the best thing I can think of because it's like that is this like this little creature who doesn't know anything and something's luring away with bacon. Like, of course, it's going to follow it, blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not the situation we're in. We're in a situation where we do desire things that aren't good for us. We do want things that aren't good for people, other people, or for creation, or are not God's plan for us. And, um, and so we are going to be looking for those things and easy to trip up in that way, if that makes sense. So I realize it can be really weird to imagine the details of how this shadowy enemy figure works. We don't have a lot of info. Um, and it's like, what do we need to do? Like, look under the bed before we go to sleep and like, check the closet and stuff like that, uh, get a Ghostbusters backpack or whatever. But um, based on what Scripture says and ignoring the non-Scripture mythology and cartoons, I think I came up with the most stupid, simple test to be able to tell if the enemy is still working here among us in our world. So let me ask you this. Do you think you believe any lies about yourself? Do you think you believe any lies about somebody else around you? Do you think you believe any lies about creation or about God? If you have a hard time thinking about yourself, do you think other people around you believe lies about themselves? Your friends, people you're close to? Do you think they believe lies about other people and creation and God? I think that is proof enough that the evil one is still doing his thing. He's the father of lies. So small and big, if we're believing things and, and investing in things and letting those, the, the, those things that are not true affect our lives in some way, um, based on Scripture, we have to think that he's connected to that in some way. He's winning whenever we believe those lies. There's so many other things to believe that aren't from God. There's so many other thoughts to think, so many ideas we have, so many ways we think that the world could be better, or ways we think we want to live our lives or whatever. But the standard has to be that what God says, what God does, what God wants and what God calls us to is our best guess at truth. It's the best guess. There's tons of other things that are not that, but that is what we can guess is the best option for truth. So um, I had a, a little activity, but I think I'm going to move it around to a different place. Um, so we're going off script a little bit. Uh-oh. Yeah, and it was going so well, you know? So, okay, we're going to come back to this activity in a second. But I want to go on to the second sort of point that I have, is just that the enemy's lies, they're more crafty and more relatable than I think they might seem at first. Especially in this story. I mean, like, we do not find ourselves alone in the desert very often. And if you do, you aren't there on purpose. I'll tell you that much. So, the enemy's lies are more crafty and relatable than they may seem. So, so the story we've got, Jesus really is a human, and he really can be tempted. We've got to realize the stakes are actually true and real here. Like, it's not, a, um, it's not just a 
play. It's not just theater. Um, that's one of the risks or vulnerabilities of this plan of Jesus becoming human is that he actually is a human. That's a pretty important part of the plan. <laughs> so the enemy actually has an opportunity because Jesus is a, is a human, and he wants to make the most of it. Maybe these temptations to you seem a little odd, but I think the enemy was plotting and scheming and strategizing about these specific things he was going to say to Jesus for a while. Imagine him like writing draft after draft of these lies, just pieces of scrap paper all around, mumbling to himself, maybe practicing in front of a mirror. It's like, that's what I'll say to him. I'll say, make the rocks be bread. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> just like, he's just practicing. I also like the idea of kind of belittling him in a way that would make him mad. So if I get in a car accident after this, it worked. Um, just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, but just imagine him being, okay, wait, all right. So the, t- the first temptation we have is about bread, is about is the, the stones to bread one. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan uses Jesus' sonship against him, calls it into question. That little part at the very beginning it makes a huge difference. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, asking him to prove it. But at the same time, by doing that, he would also be acting out of step with the Father to be independent. It's like a really clever lie. First, cast doubt on your identity and then kind of ask you to do something that's maybe not that crazy, not so insane. This is shortly after Jesus was baptized and the Father's voice spoke and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Right before this story. So it's interesting that the enemy wants to cast doubt on that first. Maybe if he can get, make Jesus a little insecure about his identity as God's Son. Maybe he can get somewhere. He also questions God's provision and care pretty inac- inaccurately here. So you're supposed to be God's son, huh? And you're hungry right now? Man, that is not quite working out for you. That's not a great deal. Shouldn't he be providing for you? And also, if you're God, why not just provide for yourself? Live a little. Come on. Make some stones bread. He's like just kind of urging him that way. Honestly, in a lot of ways, just doing that wouldn't be like just making stones bread wouldn't be on its own this really bad thing or this crazy thing, but he's getting him to do it in this way and tricking him, trying to trick him into do it in a way that is also attached to his identity as God's son and his submission to God as being the one who is in charge of what he does and why he does it. Both these things are really relatable lies to us, I think. We want to act independently. We want to be the leader of our own lives. We want to be our own boss and king. We also make horrible, impulsive food decisions on a weekly basis. Am I right? Just kidding, but we can relate to it in the sense that humans, um, we, have, we can have doubt or uncertainty about food, water, or shelter. That can make us really frightened and really vulnerable and, um, and cause us to, to make some interesting decisions. Compared to us in the room right now, that was a much more likely and realistic fear in Jesus' time, and of course also in many, many parts of the world today still. That's the case. But imagine how easy it would be to use that to cast doubt on God's love and care for somebody. Oh, you're hungry, huh? Man, I thought, I thought God would have been taking care of that for you. Hmm, interesting. Just quickly turn that to be like this cause and effect sort of thing, as if this is what God wants, as if God does not love you or care for you because of your current situation you're in. Tries to connect that exclusively to their physical needs and create a comparison that um, otherwise would not be created. So I think we can relate to that. Our physical needs, our physical situations, our circumstances, if we try to connect them to what we think God is or is not doing in our life, 
we could think some untrue things about him, about how much he loves or cares for us that might be caused into doubt, as well as our identity as children of God, who he really loves and who he made. The second temptation is even harder, probably, to relate to, the jumping off of the the temple. I'll read this again real quick. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, there it is again, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. So one, the enemy knows scripture too. Hmm, that's interesting. He's using it right here. Um, very sneaky, very sneaky, sneaky little enemy. Why would throwing yourself off the temple be like tempting to do this at all? Isn't that interesting? It's like a little bit like, duh, why would I do that? That's so dumb. But I think in one sense you could argue that it appears to be an ultimate act of like faith and trust in God, you know? That's something that could be tempting. Um, but doing this would be something that God didn't ask Jesus to do, you know? Um, and then presuming that God would be obligated to save Jesus if he did it, that's artificially creating a situation where, where God must act because of something that Jesus is deciding. Jesus is working out on his own if he was to, to fall for this. This, too, can be a temptation for us because we would like to test God, but on our own terms, where we're the one who decides what's good and what's bad, and God has to meet our requirements for that in our little perspective of the world, in our little, tiny, individual perspective in the few years we've existed. God has to meet our requirements. That's going about it all backward because we're called to follow God's lead and trust his goodness and promises regardless of our current circumstances. And uh, we're also told things like the path is narrow, like it's hard, it's tough, things like that. Not things like um, you decide and I'll, meet, I'll meet, kind of meet you wherever uh, you want me to and I'll do whatever you want me to. And that's very, we don't have anything like that to, to base that on. So Satan's tactics here um, can be really similar in our daily lives now, too. Seeming to test our faithfulness in some way or our dependence on God in a way that seems like that's a good thing that we should like kind of lean into, while also deceiving us about God at the same time. Um, dangling a carrot that seems like it might also benefit us in some way. He also subtly urges again, Jesus in this scenario, to think independently of God. He's like, he's introducing an idea and trying to get Jesus to do this Thing it's not part of the plan at all. He's he's under all of those layers, trying to get Jesus to do his own thing. Jesus is really, really strict about only doing what the Father tells him to do, only following what the Spirit tells him to do. Even just um, a small jump off of us, maybe smaller temple, would also um, potentially betray that really important commitment that Jesus has. The third temptation about the kingdoms of the world. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said to him, I'll give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, Jesus' ultimate purpose is to gather these nations, to gather these kingdoms into the kingdom of God. But first, he has to die on a cross. But the idea of the kingdoms being set before him I don't think it's one that's tempting because it's like, wouldn't it be nice to just become a dictator and rule everything with my might and power? But I think in a, in, a, in a different sense, 
Jesus really longs to gather the peoples of the world to himself, and there would be a temptation, potentially, to go this other route that doesn't require dying and suffering and being rejected and being, you know, very much humiliated. And um, this is a, a sort of alternate path or a sort of a shortcut in some ways. It could be how, how the evil one wanted to present this. So he shows them all those kingdoms and is like, hey, let's, let's do it this way. Let's form an allegiance. Let's do it this way. All you got to do is bow down before me. Here's a way to get power, to accomplish the goal you've got, but you don't have to suffer and die. And doesn't that sound pretty nice? But I think even that promise that, like, the enemy could give those things, maybe that's not even true. Maybe that's not even, maybe he doesn't even have that power. Maybe it's all temporary because it is, you know? So there's no shortcuts. God isn't really just about destinations with us either. And he's certainly not with, just, with Jesus. He's about exclusivity. He's about being the only one worth praising. And he wants us undivided and wholly dedicated to him. So it seems like a shortcut, but it's betraying a very, very important thing that God cares about a lot more than just getting there as fast as possible. God's not like, Jesus, do your own thing. Do whatever you want. Do it efficiently, okay? Just we don't have a lot of time. God's about the plan and the way that he entrusted Jesus to. Also, I think a way that we can kind of relate to this is that we can lack trust in God. We can lack and lose trust, lose patience in him, and want to take matters into our own hands, grabbing power, grabbing responsibility, taking things in our own hands. is really an attempt to work out of our own human strength apart from God often. That's, that's a, a desire we all have. It's a tendency we all have. We would rather kind of come up with a plan and have God sign off on it. <laughs> So I want to boil down the lies from all those, those three examples here that I think are kind of the core of this that we can, we can relate to. Questioning your identity as a child of God. Questioning God's deep, unwavering love for you and his provision for you. A desire to think and act independently of God. To test God on our own terms that he should do what we want him to do. And to take shortcuts, to take matters into our own hands, to think we have a better plan than God does. So now we're going to do the thing I, I was going to do earlier. A hundred percent, dude. Questioning your identity as a child of God. Questioning God's deep, unwavering love for you and his provision for you. To think and act independently of God. To test God on your own terms, that he should do what we want him to do. And to take shortcuts, take matters into our own hands, and think we have a better plan. That's crazy in those short little pieces of dialogue we have from the enemy that this is what I could point out and find. There's probably a lot more. You know, you could probably get even more granular with it if you wanted to. There's a lot there packed into those little phrases. So here's the um, little activity I wanted us to do. For the next three minutes, I realize this is like just touching the surface, just scratching the surface, but for the next three minutes, 
I um, want to ask you guys to just take a minute um, to, with your phone or your notepad or whatever and write down however many lies you can think of that you believe about yourself, other people, or God, or creation. Those ones I just said might be helpful starting places for you to kind of branch off and get more specific with yourself. But take the next few minutes to write down however many lies you can think of that you believe about yourself, other people, or God. That's a great question, and we will talk about that a little bit. But I think some of the ones that I just said as examples of what, what the kinds of lies that the enemy was telling, look for those kind of examples in your life. But you raise a, great, raise a great point. We won't recognize all of them in three minutes. But what I'm hoping you can do is be able to think of one or two or three. Okay? Okay, next what we're going to do is just for another two or three minutes, share with one or two people next to you one of the lies that you kind of found out, that you, that you feel comfortable sharing about. I know you're thinking, don't I have the right to not incriminate myself in the court of law? Um, don't worry. I'm just kidding. Um, share one that you feel comfortable with with one or two people next to you and just discuss them for about the next three minutes. So this leads to, that was a great question that you had earlier, but this leads to my third point, the third section that we have to obviously spend time looking at how Jesus not only responded to the enemy, but also how he prepared ahead of time. It wasn't um, a last second sort of like got lucky or preparation kind of thing, happened to say the right things or whatever. Here's my third point. Jesus prepared with prayer and fasting, and he responds with scripture. It's like a little bit too simple, but it's okay. Don't worry. Don't feel like, man, that's it. I thought it was going to be like something really helpful. You just talked about prayer and scripture. Like, geez. So if Jesus really is a human and really can be tempted, then he really needs to prepare for this encounter with the enemy, just like anyone else would need to. And what's, I think, interesting about this story that is such a weird misconception, I think, that I've always had um, until a couple years ago, I, I heard... There's a sermon or a book that just talked about the story in a different way, and then multiple times since then I've heard it this way, talking about that Jesus wasn't at this, like, really weak point where he's like, oh, he's so weak, and he's, like, you know, just barely crawling along in the desert, and that's when the enemy decides to strike. He probably was super hungry and stuff, so that's true. But he prepped really well, and in terms of closeness to God, and he was full of the Spirit when he was led into the desert. He followed the Spirit there. He had been praying. He had been fasting. He was, he was at his strongest. He was prepping. He was ready for this encounter with the enemy. Um, and fasting is a means of focusing one's attention on prayer through discipline. There's a lot of different definitions. That was a really quick and simple and easy one that doesn't have a lot of baggage that I found. 
a way of focusing your attention on prayer. So Jesus had been doing that for 40 days and 40 nights. So he was, he was ready, game on. Um, he may have been very hungry, but in terms of his preparedness and closeness to God, in sync with the Father, full of the Spirit, he was ready for whatever the enemy was going to say or try to lead him astray on. So that is, I think, a really good indicator. We obviously can't just go do the 40 days, 40 nights thing like all the time, but it's simple stuff. It's prayer and it's fasting. It is being close to God that will help us um, be able to spot these kinds of lies that will, that will pop up and be really convincing and be really tempting. Um, it'll be very easy not to recognize them uh, if we aren't prepared at all. And I think um, Jesus responding with lies, to the lies, sorry, to the lies with Scripture every single time is also such a really important and very helpful and very telling thing. He doesn't try to get into a match with the enemy using his own power, his own will, or by using like logic or really good arguments and debate and stuff. He just relies on God's word, and he was able to prepare for that because he knew it well. Um, that doesn't mean that like we're never we don't stand a chance until we've memorized everything. I'm not saying that, but he was spending time in Scripture and in prayer with God, and those things really were the tools that he was able to grab for that matter when um, he was being confronted with lies. And so um, that, I think, is a really helpful reminder that it's not about, you know, good arguing skills. It's not about really good logic or whatever. It's about having Scripture in our hearts, knowing the truth about the world and about the things that God believes about us, the desires that God has for us, the desire he has for creation, the way he views us, and the things that he has said those will be the absolute best match for responding to lies in our lives. Um, this is like a little bit of a stretch of a story, but I want to make sure I had a story so that uh, to keep you guys uh, awake. But um, one time, this uh, makes Melissa look like she's the analog for the enemy, but that's not what I mean at all. But one time, we were in one of our, yeah. We're in one of our many arguments, like, you know, you have that friend who half of, like, what you guys do is argue, but you're still friends or whatever. So that's Melissa for me. And um, we were in an argument one time that was, like, going on for a few weeks back and forth, like, when we'd see each other, that was about, like, reality TV and, like, me, this is, like, something I bring up in almost every sermon, I somehow find a way of, like, bashing reality TV. So that's why I thought of the story, just kidding. Um, and... I, was, I said some comment at some point about thinking The Bachelor was really dumb and, like, that I would never watch it or whatever. But what's funny is that we both like to argue, and so after several, like, different times of this to topic coming up, I think both of us found ourselves arguing about things that we, were, like, weren't actually even important to us at the beginning. Like, I remember saying things like, like, these really broad statements about the, like, the problem with television today and, like, that it... <laughs> The Bachelor represents everything that's wrong with our country. And, like, the longer we debated about it, and I tried to, like, <laughs> logic my way around my feeling about the show, I just didn't really want to watch. Like, that's fine, right? I lost my way. <laughs> I totally lost my way of what the real reason was. Why didn't I just stick to, yeah, I just don't, not for me. I don't like it. I don't want to watch it or whatever. But I just wanted to argue. And I think that's what's funny about, like, the, the way that Jesus responds, not getting into it, um, would potentially allow things to move further and further away from 
being anchored in something that you really believe, that you really know is true, that is really your conviction, that is really what God wants for us, when we start to kind of argue and debate and back and forth and stuff, you might find yourself way far away from where you were already. So to not entertain, to not try to argue, not try to debate, um, in our minds especially, but to respond to untruth with the truth of Scripture, the truth of what we know about God and his desire for life and creation and, and the kingdom, um, I think is, is a much better way. Do not follow my lead on the, on the bachelor thing. Um, so, and I think what's also interesting is that every time Jesus does quote Scripture, it's always Deuteronomy. All three times he quotes it back to him, which is Moses' words and reminders to the people of Israel, often reminding them that God led them into the desert for 40 years to humble them because their bad choices when they acted counter to God, didn't follow his lead, thought they knew better. Um, so Jesus is quoting the perfect thing here, the perfect thing that kind of is this analog for all the things that led Israel astray over and over. Those same lies that Israel wanted to believe as a nation were what led them to where they, they ended up and were in the desert for 40 years. Um, 40, once again, 40 years, 40 days, 40 nights. Um, and and this is the word that God gives them through Moses to, to remind them and to try to bring them back into following him and following his lead. Um, and then that's exactly where Jesus draws from every single time. So the first way he responds to the enemy is um, uh, about the stone and bread thing is, it's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in that scenario, in that quote, Moses is pleading with the Israelites, remember, food and water are good, but they cannot be what we live for. <laughs> they cannot be what our, our purpose is. Life is more than about surviving. It's about loving and following God. Life's about meaning, and it's about eternity, and it matters to follow God's lead and not be distracted by food and water and um, just trying to survive and betray whatever we may just to, just to survive. It's a perfect quote here for Jesus to use. Sure, he could turn some stones into bread, but that's not what life is for. And in this specific instance, it would be solving hunger at the expense of following God's lead and also the intentionality that he's fasting in order to focus on prayer for, the, for that exact reason. So it would betray that too. And the second um, way that Jesus responds uh, about throwing himself from the temple roof is... It's also written, do not test the Lord your God. So faith does not create demands for proof. That's like the opposite of faith, right? It's like, I really believe, but I want to prove it. <laughs> That's not faith. That is not the same. So Jesus, say Jesus did do this thing. Say he actually did jump off the temple, and then God did send the angels to rescue him, and say there are actually people there watching and saw this happen, they probably would have followed Jesus in droves in like a very like David Blaine kind of like fascination sort of thing. Like, holy, he can float. That's incredible. But that, that's not God's way. That was not God's design. Being obedient to God and suffering in order to save us from our sins is God's way. God's about the ultimate. He's not about the flash and bang. He's not about the, the, the um, show, if that makes sense. The God, God's way is the sacrifice is the suffering in order to save us from sins, not do a cool trick. Jesus' response from Deuteronomy in that scenario is simple. 
Testing God is not our priority at all. It's not even part of the cards. It's not in the cards for us. But trusting God is. And what's more inherent to testing God is thinking that we know better, which we talked about already. Thinking that we know the criteria he should be meeting. So let's create a scenario where we just double check. Can God do this stuff? Is he going to do what I want him to do? Let me just check. That we know what sort of plan is best is, is part of the problem there. So do not test God. Do not think you're best. Do not think you know the criteria that he should be meeting. But to trust God instead is really the response. The last way Jesus responds, which I think this is interesting at the beginning, is the first time he says something of his own words. Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He gives one of the simplest quotes. It's kind of like the quotes from Deuteronomy get simpler each time. But he just says, Only serve God. Worship the Lord your God only. Serve him only. Jesus doesn't think or rationalize his way out of submission to the Father. Anything that causes that, that we start to think in that line that kind of rationalizes our way out of submitting to God, is already a loss. It's already setting us on the wrong course. The ends do not justify the means for Jesus. There's no shortcuts. There's no, I got there my own way. Isn't that still cool, God? There's no, I betrayed this and that and this, but I still did this or that. It is important to God that we only serve him that we love the Lord our God before, before everything else. Um, and that is the way Jesus responds. It's such a simple phrase, but it's so it, it um, speaks against the lies that the enemy is saying in that moment to just say, no, I'm only supposed to worship God. I'm only supposed to serve him. So um, those are the ways I think that we can kind of take with us that I realize how hard it is to, to hear, hey, just pray, and hey, why not fast? It's, I think it's coming back around. I mean, intermittent fasting is a thing now, so it's getting popular again. And hey, why not read scripture too? But what I want to, but please hear me say, like, these things are not the kind of things you need to do to feel good or to check some boxes or for other people to approve of you. That's not, the, that's not it at all. What I'm saying is that these are tools that in our daily life are going to make a difference. They're going to help us know what is real, what's true, and know how to respond to it for our own good, for our own being able to follow Jesus, to be able to follow God's way for our life, it's going to make a huge difference. So don't hear me say, like, do all the good things and be a good, good little Christian. I mean, like, this is, this is, these are the tools. These are, the, these are it. Um, for instance, like, I've, I've, like, probably fasted, like, maybe five times, not counting intermittent fasting, okay? I did try that at one point, but in the, like, Jesus sense, maybe five times in my life. I've barely ever done it, barely even tried it. There's probably plenty of things I probably should have prepped and fasted for and prayed about. I haven't done it. Don't tell anyone. Just kidding. Those are the things that will really help us, and they'll help us know what's true and be able to call out lies, for one. We'll be able to recognize them really well. When we are very in tune with the Spirit, we're very in tune with what God's truth is, we'll know what's a lie, and we'll know how to respond to it. So here's my kind of wrapping up conclusion thing. I know you guys are like, didn't he say this was going to be short? And yeah, I said that, and I thought it. I really did thought it. I did not, I was not lying. I thought it was going to be short. So the enemy is real, and he is our actual enemy. The enemy is real, and he is our actual enemy. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces. The enemy is our enemy. 
um, to put it in the like, you know, oversimplistic way. So here's a couple kind of questions to think about a little bit as we close. So this is not like I jot them down and have to like assign it or whatever because I don't have time for that. But um, and neither do you. But so who or what are you making your enemy in your life most of the time? Is it another person? Is it an entity? Is it an organization? Is it uh, a government? Is it a party? Is it a group? Is it a city? Is it uh, what? It could be any of those things. Is it a thing? Is it a, you know, um, is it a raccoon that keeps getting into your dumpster or whatever? Um, but what or who have you been making your enemy in your mind? And think about the fact that that is not it. That is a distraction from the true enemy who really is what we're fighting against. Other human beings, they may be lost, and they may be believing some lies, but they are not your enemy, I'll tell you that. They may be lost, and they may be believing some crazy stuff, but they are not your enemy. The enemy is our enemy. What lies are you currently believing? We talked about that a little bit. Spend some time this week maybe thinking through that more deeply. I realize um, we couldn't do that very deeply in just a couple of minutes. What lies are you currently believing? Are you believing things about yourself that God would never say? God would never think about you. He'd never say that about you, how much he loves you and cares about you. He made you specifically the way you are. He loves you. What things do you tell yourself that aren't anything even remotely like something God would say to you? And then at the same time, hold that in your mind. And also, what things do you think or say about other people? They're not things that God would say or think at all about them. What things are you thinking? Where are you putting your hope? That's a lie, too. If you're putting your hope in something else that is not God, um, that's a lie. Where are you putting your chips? Where are you betting? Where are you really investing yourself? Um, where's your hope come from? And where does it go? What lies are you believing? That's the kind of thing that honestly, dude, like open a tab on it and, and keep jotting things down. I think it's going to come to you in waves. Spend some time thinking about it, but... Um, just try to be observant of yourself and recognize, because you will fall into habits and grooves. We'll say things to ourselves. I have a like, pretty loud like, inner monologue often, and it's saying stuff that's not true to me. And um, it's really important that we recognize those things and call them out to ourselves. Lastly, just what are we doing? What are we currently doing to prepare ourselves to respond to these lies well? In your life, what are you doing? What's your experience look like with Scripture? Not in like a study, learn, know better, be able to quote it better to other people around you. How well do you know the truth of God and how well have you internalized it so that you can respond to lies with God's truth? What's your time with him look like in prayer? I don't mean prayer necessarily as this like bring all your concerns to him. God also just wants to spend time with us. Some of the most fruitful prayer time I have ends up looking like me just telling God the things I'm thinking, not necessarily the things I would like or ask of him. And I feel so refreshed by that. God wants to hear the things that are on my mind and my heart, things that are bothering me, things that I'm struggling with. And without me even having to also figure out what things I want from him in return, just talk to him. And maybe, maybe try out fasting. I don't know. Seemed to work pretty well for Jesus. Maybe do like one day, though, not 40. Just a pro tip. Just a pro tip. I recently read a book where this guy, like, 
he started fasting two days a week, every week, just to see. Like, he's like, what could happen? What's the worst that could happen? I'll be hungry, but will, do, is it going to have an effect? Am I going to pray more? And he's like, I cannot describe it, but it did. You know, it made an impact. And I was like, dang, maybe I should try that. I still haven't, by the way. Don't tell anyone. <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us real quick. Um, if you have some questions, we can talk after separately or individually or whatever. Um, I realize there's lots of there's lots of ways this could go, lots of things you could be thinking, um, but we've got to get moving on. So, Lord, thank you so much for, oh man, not only being true and dependable and trustworthy, um, but for an example of what it's like to really wrestle with the lies that we experience on a daily basis. Um, it doesn't look like your situation to us often, but um, I know many of us in this room, week in, week out, um, are fighting lies that we believe about ourselves um, all the time. And it really is a fight. It really is a struggle. And it's isolating, and it's lonely, and it's scary. Lord, thanks for caring about that. that. Thanks for giving us tools to respond. Oh, man. And Lord, help us. Give us strength. Um, help us to depend on you, and help us to really have a lens where we can see what things are not true, that we've started to believe and, and carry with us and uh, are really altering the way we live our life and altering the uh, joy we have and the, our ability to serve you and our ability to love others like you want us to. And um, there is so many things we could ask for, and we need all of it <laughs> from you, Lord. We're just so dependent on you. Help us to turn to you when we're not sure. Help us to turn to you in pre preparation for lies. Help us to turn to you where we're, when we're fighting through them. And Lord, we just need you so badly. Um, thanks for loving us. Thanks for being patient with us. Um, and thanks for, um, for sending your son and for him withstanding those lies and covering our sins so that even as we struggle through this, we are um, already redeemed. We're already saved. We're already loved. We're already covered. We're already um, your children. And um, thank you for loving us so much. In your name I pray. Amen. Hi. Oh, that was loud. I'm Melissa. Um, I'm the person who Jam accused of being in favor of reality TV, and I just want to take the opportunity to defend myself. That's not why I'm up here, but... And say that although Jam maybe won that battle because I do think The Bachelor is icky now, reality TV show can still be good, and Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls reminds me so much of God's love, so whatever. <laughs> Um, and if you want to hear all about why I think it reminds you of God's love, just find me after church. Okay, so you lose the battle, or you lose the war, but you did win that battle, Jam. Also, Jam sometimes watches reality TV shows, so... <laughs> Sam texted me, I have witnesses, so just saying. Okay, anyway, um, I'm actually up here to give announcements, not to talk about reality TV. But I do love announcements because I think it really is an opportunity for us to think about um, how we can be involved in community and why that's important. And I, I, talking about the lies we believe, sometimes I think I believe the lie that I've been in this church for a really long time and I have a lot of friends and like these events aren't really for me. Maybe they're for people who need to meet new people and build community and like maybe that isn't really for me. And I do think that's a lie and pretty misguided. And <laughs> I'm a teacher, and this week one of my students who is not doing well in the class told me that my lectures weren't important for him and he could succeed without me, and that time was spent doing better things. And I was so mad. 
And then I realize that I have that attitude about church and church events sometimes where I'm like, I'm fine. I don't need to do this. I don't need to go to this thing. And that is really misguided. So if you sometimes have that attitude like I do, maybe think about how you can participate in our church and how maybe there's something that God has for you that you're missing out on because you have the attitude that it's not really for you. So with that in mind, um, I believe our first announcement is a spark social. Yeah. Okay. So this is, we've talked about this a few times. This was for people in their twenties and thirties to have an opportunity to build community. Um, it's on July, uh, July 16th at 2 PM. And, um, they do ask actually that you go to wileynortheast.com slash spark and register, not because it costs any money, but just so they can kind of, um, know how much to prepare for who else is going to be there. So go check that out. I think it'll be really fun. And it's in downtown Carrollton, which is so cute. I love downtown Carrollton. Okay, and it's closer to us than a lot of things are, so take advantage of that. Um, and then the all-church pool party, July 31st at 6. That'll be fun. That's a good opportunity to connect with people from other churches that maybe you haven't seen before, or if you're new to our church family, it gives you an opportunity to get to know people at other churches, and I think that's really valuable because each of our churches kind of has their own personality, and, you know, it's cool to connect with a bigger family that believes the same things that we do. Um, and then giving, is there a slide for that? So, um, you know, thanks to Jam, giving has been made really easy and up to date. We don't like pass the basket, but it is really important that if you are someone who um, is part of this community and you have the means to give back, even if it's just a little, go to um, either dentonorchurch.com slash donate or use this beautiful little QR code because we're technologically advanced now and um, go set up giving, even recurring giving, then you don't have to remember to do it every month, which is the best or every week. And very last announcement, uh, this one's pretty cool. So um, Ronnie, a lot of you know, but not all of you know, Ronnie is one of the people who helped start our church. He was very faithful to what God was calling him to do, and he felt a strong call to build a church that supports college ministry, and that's what he's done. And he ministered to a lot of people, like Leslie, who you do definitely know Leslie, and she's definitely had an impact on you, and helped them see God's heart for who, who God really is and has helped really build the foundation for our churches to thrive. And it's actually Ronnie's 70th birthday. So back there in the back, you may have noticed there's some cards and pens. And so if you would if you would write a little note to Ronnie about his birthday, even if you don't know him personally, just thanking him for the impact he's had on you. Because whether or not you know it, if you're here <laughs> in this church, it is very likely that he's impacted someone who has impacted you because he's tried really hard to be obedient to God in that way. So, yeah. That's kind of a cool opportunity we get to shower some love on someone who's made it possible for us to be in the community that we're in today. I think that's everything. Um, Is there going to be a prayer after, or should I close this out? Okay, I'll close this out. Okay, well, thank you guys all so much for coming here today. It's so nice to see you all, and um, I'll say a prayer. God, thank you so much for this community and for the way that you've worked through people like Ronnie and Leslie to impact us and to give us a place where we can see how people really love you and to try to share that with other people. And we ask that you really help us see the lies that we're believing and the way that it's hurting us that we maybe believe those lies. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.